Well done. Thank you very much. Open your Bible, please, to Acts chapter number 9. Our theme for this year is serving the Lord. Folks, I'll tell you straight up, this could be our year when Jesus returns. And so we want to spend our time wisely. We've only got this one life to live. We only have certain resources. We're not infinite in any, any stretch except our eternity. And we want to do the best we can for the Lord Jesus. And so that's why our theme is serving the Lord. Now in Acts chapter 9, we're introduced a little bit more to this fellow who was to become the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul ended up being one of the, the finest, best servants for the Lord. He used his life wisely as a wise master builder. He uh, walked with God. He talked much with God. He spent a lot of time alone with God in prayer, which, by the way, is still a foundational key. If you want to really get to know God, you want to be used of God, we must spend time alone with God in prayer. You neglect your prayer closet, neglect your Bible, you are neglecting God and you're neglecting your Christian life. You can't afford to do that because one day he's going to call us home and we'll have to give account of our lives. Listen, you may never be able to cross the oceans and do marvelous works for God. You may never be able to give millions and millions of dollars to the cause of missions. You may never be some fabulous evangelist leading tens of thousands of souls to Christ. But you can read your Bible and you can pray and you can be everything God wants you to be. And that is all the Lord is asking. We will be brought into account. Now, we're going to be zeroing in on a, an interesting thing that Paul said. This is before he was saved and became a great servant of the Lord. But in verse 5, I want you to see his words here. You know, when you talk to God, it's called prayer, isn't it? And so here is Paul stricken off his horse. He's on the ground. Jesus is speaking to him. And the first prayer he makes here is, in verse 5, Who art thou, Lord? It's actually a good prayer. So we're going to look at that subject this morning and pray that it be a great blessing to our hearts. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heavenly Father, these words of the Apostle back when he was first getting to know you. Lord, help us to examine them in the light of the scriptures, in the light of our lives. Lord, help us to know you better. Help us to become uh, more familiar, more acquainted with you so that we can be better servants and better used of God. Lord, bless your people today. If there be one here who's not yet made that commitment of their life to Christ, please encourage them to do it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Not that many years ago, down in the United States, uh, in a little town called Clifton, New Jersey, it was four o'clock in the morning on a chilly October, and an employee had just gotten off shift at the supermarket. He went out into the parking lot, easy to find his car at four in the morning, and he got in his car and started up the engine, and before he could drive away, all of a sudden, a man was there, a naked man, holding a gun to his head. And the employee was terrified. 
And his first, the first words out of the employee's mouth was, he said, who are you? And the naked man with the gun said, I am God. And the employee drove off. And he was unharmed, he was uninjured. Later, the police found this, this fellow, naked fellow. He was 23-year-old 20, young man named Christopher Duran. And uh, they took him, they arrested him, they put him in jail. I think he was on drugs. Now, it's quite obvious that uh, Christopher Duran is not God. God doesn't walk around like that. God doesn't need a gun. There's so many uh, tests Christopher Duran failed when it comes to are you God or not. But it does raise a question. wonder who God is. There's a lot of people asking that question all around the world. Out of seven and a half billion people, I'll bet you the vast majority don't really know who God is. Interesting thought, isn't it? Sometimes uh, people question God's decisions. They, they figure he's out there, but they, they question his decisions. For example, we just had this horrible plane crash, this Ethiopian airline plane go down, and 157 people perished in that. And some people will say, well, where was God? Where was God when that happened? Uh, just um, uh, a day or two ago, uh, down in New Zealand, in the little town called Christchurch, at a mosque, a lone gunman went in there and started opening fire. And now 50 people are dead. 50 people. One man lost his entire family. 50 people are dead. And some people are saying, well, where was God? You know, when the, when the shooter started opening fire. Folks, I want you to know that those are unfair questions. When a person or a family or uh, a nation will turn their back on God and reap the consequences, it is totally unfair to say, where was God? We've had a lot of school shootings over the years, haven't we? But prior to those school shootings, the government kicked God out of the schools. No longer were they allowed to um, uh, open in prayer. No longer were they allowed to put the Ten Commandments up on a wall. They literally booted God out of the school system. You're allowed to carry other religious books. You're allowed to carry religious knives into the schools but you can't carry a Bible because that's wrong. That's against the law. That's sad, but that's the way that the free world is going. It doesn't seem very free, does it? So it's actually quite unfair, and often we have no right to even ask what God's been doing, what he's up to. We have no right to ask. Job was a great man of God, and concerning God, he said these words in chapter 23, verse 13, but he is in one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. Many years later, the prophet Daniel, in chapter 4, verse 35, wrote, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his own will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand, or say unto him, What doest thou? And the Apostle Paul, years, years later, the Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans, chapter 9 and verse 20, Nay, but 
O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to to that, say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? You know, as I think about it, it's amazing to me that God would have anything to do with us. Because, uh, you know, we look at ourselves in the mirror every day and we know we're far from perfect. We know that. Especially after you've had a, an argument. Especially after you've uh, allowed sin in your, in your life. Spe- especially after your, your hands are dirty and, you know, and you go to God and ask Him to forgive you and cleanse you. Why would God? Why would God want to have anything to do with us, with the likes of us? Why would He want to do that? It's quite amazing, really, to think about it. Yet God knows everything there is to know about our lives. If you're here today and you're thinking that there's things God doesn't know, think again, because I'll have you know God knows everything there is to know about you. God knows more about you than you know about yourself. Isn't that the truth? For example, what's the earliest memory you can recollect? While you were still in your mummy's tummy, do you have any memories of that? Of course not. It says in Jeremiah 1.5, God says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Catch that. Before I formed thee in the belly. That's before conception. We do have some people in the world today who claim to have memories of when they were in their mummy's tummy. But they don't have any memories prior to that. How could they possibly? And yet God does. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Wow, that's pretty good, don't you think? In Matthew 10.30, Jesus made this startling statement, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now some of us have a few more hairs and some of us have a few less hairs. Some of us have to add a little color to our hair. You know, it's nice to have hair, I think. But we don't know how many hairs are up there. Most of us don't even care as long as there's something up there. But God cares. And he cares so much that he knows exactly how many hairs are on your entire body, not just your head. God knows. Psalm 56 verse 8, Thou tellest, all, thou tellest my wanderings. God knows all about your wanderings in life. Psalm 8 verse 4, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Psalm 144 verse 3, Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man that thou makest account of him? It's really amazing that God would take time and think about us. What a wonderful God we have, folks. Absolutely wonderful. Before the Apostle Paul was saved, he too had some ideas of his own as to what God was like. And I think that everyone in the world, basically, has some kind of idea of God. Now, for some people, they say, God, that's just a fairy tale. They're, they call themselves atheists. They don't believe in God. That doesn't change the fact God is alive. They just choose to turn their back to God. One day, you know, they say that five minutes after an atheist dies, he always believes in God. Think about it. Five minutes after the atheist dies, he lifts up his eyes in hell. It won't take him long to realize he was wrong. It won't take him long to realize that the very place he says does not exist, it actually exists and he's in it. Some people call themselves atheists and they say, you know, God, he, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't exist. Some people call themselves agnostic. Well, God is out there 
He's out there, but it's impossible to know him. No one can know God. That's impossible. And there are religions that teach that to their people. Then, of course, there's all kinds of weird and spooky ideas that people have about God. All kinds of craziness and nonsensical things that uh, they propagate. And the Apostle Paul had a few ideas too. He had formed his own idea as to who God was, but when he actually met God on the road to Damascus, he asked, Who art thou, Lord? It's true. We don't have all the answers, do we? It's true. None of us know it all. And at some point, we need to sort of sit down and say, well, maybe there's a few things I don't know. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought that? Maybe there's something you don't know. Have you ever thought that? Is it possible that there's something about God's will for your life that you don't know yet? Could that be possible? Is it possible that there's something you should be doing for God even now? And you're not aware of it. Is that possible? Well, that's a good question. Most of the world today still doesn't know who God is or what God is like. Mortal man really knows absolutely nothing of the depths of the depths of Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. It's impossible. It's impossible to understand what God understands. It's absolutely impossible. There are some human beings who have IQs so high that the rest of us, we couldn't catch up to them. We couldn't catch up if we had a car. We couldn't catch up if we had all the money in the world. They're just so far beyond us with their IQ. You know, they have that Sherlock Holmes guy, right? And he's fictional, except if you believe in the movies. And Sherlock Holmes comes into a room, and he looks around at this or that and the other thing, and within about 15 seconds, he knows that it's not an accident, it's a murder, and he's already got his first suspect in mind. How does he do that? Well, he doesn't really. It's just a story. But the idea is, some people are so trained with the eye and the ear. They're so good at putting two and two together. Their IQs are so high. Well, I'll tell you something. Compared to God, they haven't even been born. God's IQ is so much higher. Uh, what is the highest IQ that any human has ever had? Is it, is it 200 or more? Does anybody know? What's the highest you've heard of? 180? Anyone hear of anything higher than 180? Going once, going twice? All right, well, can you imagine God's IQ of 180,000? How about that? God's understanding is so vast and deep that it's impossible for us to find out everything God knows. Absolutely impossible. <laughs> Last night, my son Jonathan, he pulled up on his phone some kind of app, a program, and he was looking through a camera on one of the spacecraft satellites that's traveling at 24,000 kilometers per hour. Now, that's faster than the fastest speeder here on four wheels. Boy, that's fast. And in an hour and a half, it does a complete revolution of the earth. 16 times uh, per, per 24-hour period. And they got astronauts up there. And um, about an hour 
you know, from when he, he, he told me, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking at the world here. And then about an hour later, he says, it's another sunrise. The sun is rising again. Where are you now? Well, I'm over Iraq right now. And then I'm over Germany right now. And he showed me these pictures. And really, you know, the, the old world was just flying by. It was incredible. God is so much greater. So much more fantastic. There is no searching of, 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 of his depths. Today, you know, in meekness, we ask the question, Who art thou, Lord? And I'll be honest with you, the Bible gives us some of the answer. Because not even the Bible gives us all the depths of what God truly knows. And so take your Bible with me, and let's, look, let's begin at looking at his great name. Let's just start there. Let's go back to the book of Exodus, shall we? Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to look at his great name. Chapter 3, please look at verse 13. Chapter 3, verse 13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Verse 14, let's read it together. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Now, in the Bible, names always talk about the person. They always reveal things about the person, something about them. Moses said that the Jews were going to ask him what God's name was, and God's answer was very simple. My name, I am that I am. That means God is eternal. No beginning, no end. He's always been. He is the eternal God. And he is totally self-sufficient, unlike you and I. Boy, are we the opposite of that. Now, in the New Testament, we find Jesus, whose name means salvation, or Jehovah is salvation. Jesus took the same name for himself. In John chapter 8, you needn't turn there, um, the Jews were picking up stones to stone Jesus. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. And so there's Jesus using the very same name that Jehovah God, Almighty God, gave to Moses back in chapter 3. Here is Jesus of the New Testament taking the same name to himself. I am. Two chapters later in John chapter 10, the, uh, they had the stones to stone him. The Jews uh, answered saying, For a good work we stone thee not. Now here it comes, listen. But for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus was telling them who he was. I am God. The Jehovah of the Old Testament happens to be Jesus of the New Testament, folks. Amen. He is a mighty God. And furthermore, we, we find something written. You can compare these, but in Jeremiah, it's very clear where Jehovah, actually, maybe I can even pull it out for you here. Sometimes I can do that. 
They tell me of a home. Um, sometimes my notes don't catch up with my brain here. I apologize. All right, well, Jehovah God is referred to as the mighty God. The name, the name Jehovah is there, all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Oh, wait a minute, I can find it for you. And in Isaiah, there we go, chapter 9, we have the companion verse. So here, you write this down in your uh, Bible. Write this down. This will come in handy for you. So Isaiah chapter 9, and look at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What are the next three words? The Mighty God. And those are the words found in Jeremiah 32. And verse 18. So write that reference down beside Isaiah 9.6. Underline the three words, the mighty God. Put the reference, Jeremiah 32, verse 18. That's proof that Jesus is Jehovah God. Because this verse definitely speaks of Jesus in Isaiah 9.6. And that expression, the mighty God, is used exclusively of Jehovah over in Jeremiah 32, verse 18. Those two verses together prove who Jesus is. Wow. Who art thou, Lord? All we got to do is look at his name. And his name is Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. His very name tells us what a wonderful, magnificent, all self-sufficient God he is. Who art thou, Lord? God of very God. Now, uh, I think you're in Isaiah there. Turn back to the left beyond Psalms. Turn to the left of Psalms, you'll find Job, and go to chapter 38. Point number two, we want to look at his power. Who art thou, Lord? Well, his name tells us about him. His power, what he's able to do, tells us also about him. Job chapter 38. Have you got that there? Because the Lord is going to answer Job now out of the whirlwind. And essentially, Job gets a front row seat to God's lesson, his, his message, his sermon as to who he is. <clears throat> We're just going to uh, go down to verse 31 and pick up there. See, uh, his power. Canst thou bind the sweet influences of uh, Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? Now that refers to the seasons. There's a, an effect that it has on the seasons, winter and and summer. Verse 32, Canst thou bring forth Mazaroth in his season? Or canst thou guide Arcturus with his sons? Knowest, verse 33, Knowest thou the ordinances of heaven? Canst thou set the dominion thereof in the earth? God is talking here about how he controls all the nature and all the weather and all of that. You want to know his power? Look at that for power. Verse uh, 34, Canst thou lift up thy voice to the clouds that abundance of waters may cover thee. Verse 35, uh, Canst thou send lightnings that they may go and say unto thee, Here we are. Go to chapter 39, verse 1. Knowest thou the time when the wild goats of the rock bring forth? Or canst thou mark when the hinds do calf? 
Canst thou number the months that they fulfill, or knowest thou the time when they bring forth? Go down to verse 10. Canst thou bind the unicorn with his band in the furrow, or will he harrow the valleys after thee? Go down to verse 20. Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. Look at chapter 40 and verse 9. Chapter 40, verse 9. Hast thou an arm like God, or canst thou thunder with a voice like Him? Go to chapter 41 and look at verse 1. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook, or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down? Canst thou put a hook into his nose, or bore his jaw through with a thorn? Look at verse 7. Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons, or his head with fish spears? Folks, I tell you, God is a powerful God. If you go back to chapter 37 and verse 5 of Job, you'll see that even his voice is powerful. Even his voice. Verse 5 of chapter 37, God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he which we cannot comprehend. In a nutshell, it's this. His power alone tells us that he has no equal. There is no equal in heaven or earth to God Almighty. Who art thou, Lord? His name tells us who he is. His power tells us what he is. And now, number three, his wealth, his great wealth. Turn to the right to the book of Psalms and go to Psalm 50. Psalm 50. Psalm 50. And we'll pick up at verse 10. Follow along as I read. God says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Wow. The analysis, the analysts who theorize as to how much wealth is in the world come up with, with a phenomenal figure. And just depends who you, who you read, they'll give you a different figure. Some of them estimate the world's wealth to be $270 trillion. Others estimate uh, that that's only just the, the monetary aspect. There are other things of value as well. And when they add that in, they come up with multiple quadrillions worth of wealth. Man only borrows and manages some of it for a little while, but God is the true owner of all of the wealth of the world. There is nothing he does not own. He says here, every beast of the field, every cattle on a thousand hills, the fowls, the wild beasts. He says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Why? Because he owns everything. He owns not just the refrigerator. He owns everything in the refrigerator. He doesn't need to ask anyone's permission. He can open a door and take whatever he wants. Folks, that is very, very important because you and I have been blessed with certain little resources. You have a certain amount of cash flow. You have certain assets. Uh, things that you consider are yours. You're only managing them because the true owner has let you. But pastor, I went down to the store and with my hard-earned money, I bought that. I have the receipt to prove it. Yeah, 
You went through that game too, didn't you? So did I. But I'll tell you who really owns it. And that's the Lord God. Did you know that if you go and purchase stolen property, did you know that you have no legal right to it? Did you know that? They can come and take that and give it back to its rightful owner? I don't know. There might be some recompense in today's modern world. But essentially, if you go and buy something from someone off Craigslist, and uh, you bring it home, and after a week, the police show up at your door, and they show you that that's a stolen item, and they compare serial numbers, you've got to turn that over. Well, what about the good money I paid for it? You mean that crook? We can't find him. He's long gone. If you find him, get your money back. <laughs> good luck. But did you know that you can lose something that you bought in good faith? And I'll tell you what, even if you buy something in good faith that's legally, legitimately yours, you can still lose it. You absolutely can. You see, everything that you have is literally in God's hands. And watch very carefully. This is all God has to do. <sighs> and it's gone. It's gone. Your car, your job, your home, all your clothing, all your furniture, all your loved ones. Just ask that man whose family went to that mosque or whose family was on that Ethiopian airline. Just ask them. You know, when you lose furniture or home or car, that's one thing, but when you lose your family, you know, you can, the insurance can replace a home, can't they? But they can't replace your, your wife and children, can they? Everything you have, everything I have, really belongs to God. You and I, we're just managers, that's all. Now let me ask you, are you a good manager? Are you a good manager? If you've never properly, lovingly, with reverence, put your family on the altar, put your family in God's hands, you ought to do that today. If you've never put your home and car and your job and your health into God's hands, put it on the altar today. You need to do it today. And you need to pray something like this, Lord, everything I have, I'm putting in your hands. If you, for some reason, want to take something away from me, Father, I'll understand. It won't be easy, but I'll understand. But Lord, if you leave it with me, I'll take real good care of it. If you leave my family with me, I'll take real good care of them. If you leave my job and my health with me, I'll take real good care of them. If you leave me my church, I'll take real good care of it. By being there. By serving the Lord. God owns everything there is. This is so very, very important. His wealth it goes to the very last penny. There is nothing he does not own. There's all the untold riches of the minerals found in the stars and the planets as well. God owns those as well. There's all of the limitless riches and wealth found in his storehouse in heaven. He owns all of that as well. His wealth bears witness to his sovereignty. And even we are the work of his hands. Lord, who art thou? Well, His name tells us who He is. His power tells us what He can do. His wealth tells us what He owns. Whoo! Let's draw the purse strings on the sermon today and bring it to a conclusion. What a great God we serve. Amen? Amen. Wow. Just to get another glimpse of God is worth it all. But let me ask you this question. What if God turned the table? Instead of us saying, who art thou, Lord? What if God was the one saying, well, who art thou? 
What if God looked you or me in the eye and said, who do you think you are? Who are you? How would you answer God? If going home or tonight in the middle of the night, you woke up and God was there and he said, who are you? Many years ago, we used to own a Great Dane dog named Buddy. He was a real goofy guy and just a great companion. You know Great Dane dogs, right? The back of them stands this high. You, can you see this? This high. The head is up here. They're very easy to pet. You don't have to get down like our current dog Charlie. He's down there somewhere. But Buddy was up this high. Their heads are this big. The head of the dog. Big jowls on them. Great big nose. You know, two eyes set way back on this big schnoz. There's Buddy. The first night we had him in our home, he was, a, I think he was about four years old when we got him. The first night we had him in our home, I woke up about 1.32 in the morning, and this far from my face was this big nose, this big, and set way back, these two little beady eyes staring, just boring right down at me. Boy, did I jump. And Buddy got scared. He was just checking to see how Dad's doing. Are you still awake? And I woke up. Whoa! Well, what would it be like if God Almighty woke you up at 1.30 in the morning? If God Almighty was on the, the asking end, and you're, you know, now the subject, God says, who are you? What would you answer God? Saul here, on the road to Damascus, he said, Who art thou, Lord? Did you know that in Romans 14.4, God says to us, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. You know what that says? Don't go around judging other people. Don't go around judging and condemning other people. It's so easy for us to do that and point fingers and say, you did this, you didn't do that, she did this, boy, she should have done this, she broke her promise, he did this, he said that, and to start with condemnation, judging one another. Listen, God knows. God will, uh, will square the accounts one day. God tells us very clearly, very clearly in the book of Romans, that we're not to seek vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. You pray for them, but you leave God to have to square the accounts. Don't you do things. Let God do all that. You know, again, to our comfort, God says in Isaiah 51, 12, I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die? Did you know that God is able to make you stand too? You have nothing to be afraid of. Fear no man. Fear God and fear no man. That's how she works. Put your faith and trust in God. Maybe, maybe you're here today and someone's been threatening you in some fashion. Maybe you feel fear around a man or woman. You don't have to. Put your faith in God. Put your, your trust in Him. Fear Him and fear no man. 
hey, we got to hurry up here. But listen, let's finish actually with a fourth point. I gave you three. I want to give you one more. Let's finish with His great love. His great name, His great, po- His great power, His great wealth, His great love. That makes a nice finish. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. You know what that means? Take the opposite. Whosoever does not believe in Him shall perish. Listen folks, that's the bottom line of it. God so loved the world that He made provision. He says, you want to go to heaven? You want to get your sins forgiven? You want to have my resources and power? I'm willing to do it, but I've made a way. There's no other way. There's no two ways to heaven. You're not going to get to heaven by worshiping Mary and worshiping Jesus. There's not two ways. It's not going to work that way. There's one way and only one. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Seven and a half billion people in the world. Some mighty fine people out there involved with religions that are taking them a divergent path. Very popular pathways too, but divergent. They're not going through Jesus Christ. They're going through other religious figures. Some of them are even being taught that there is no God. You just keep coming back as an evolutionary being somehow, you know, the reincarnation. And if you don't make it in this life, don't worry, you'll come back and you'll get another kick at the can. You won't, my friend. That's a lie of the devil. It's a lie of the devil to think you're going to come back again as some other person or as an animal or something. It doesn't work that way. You're made as an eternal soul in the likeness of Almighty God. You have this life, this life only. God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son that if you shall believe in Him, trust in Him, give your heart to Him, you will not perish and die and go to hell, but you will have everlasting life. That's the promise of Almighty God. It doesn't get easier than that. We'll finish on this fourth point then, His great love. And if you're here today and you've you just haven't. You just haven't repented. You haven't come to Him. You haven't asked His forgiveness. Why not today? Well, you don't think you're a sinner? Somehow you, you think that God will put other sinners in hell, but He won't put you in hell? You think that you're not a big enough sinner to go to hell? Well, I'll tell you what will get a man into hell. One sin only. One sin. One sin. Are you here telling me you've never told a lie? Are you here to tell me you've never looked on a person with lust? Are you here to tell me that you've never had a bad thought? You've never spoken an unkind word? Oh, folks, our lives are riddled with sin, aren't they? Riddled with sin, if we'd be honest about it. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It only takes one sin. If you're here today and say, well, I've committed one sin, then you're the sinner that Jesus is looking for. If you will put your faith in Him, He will save your soul and take you to heaven when the time is right. If you're here and you're born again, you're saved, but you just haven't been living for the Lord, why don't you do that today? Why don't you come on the invitation and pray? and On your knees, put your family on the altar. Put your job, your career, your future, your health, all your loved ones, your possessions, Give them to the Lord. And then you be the manager. Would you do that? That's the way to happiness. Let's stand to our feet now, shall we?